And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So what's the biggest problem that you need to solve at your business? That is easily my favorite question when I talk to entrepreneurs and probably what we'll talk a little bit about on today's episode. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind everyone that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to fullscale.io to learn more. With me today, I have Sarah Smith, and Sarah is the founder of The Dirt. And I mean The Dirt as in D-Y-R-T. You can go to The Dirt, spelled like I just mentioned, .com when you scroll down and read the show notes. Straight out of Portland, Oregon, one of my favorite cities and towns in America, Sarah, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I want to get into the dirt today. So, you know, so we can go ahead and do that. I love starting my conversations with a little bit about your backstory. So what's the dirt? The dirt. The dirt is the top ranked camping app out there in the United States. Um, if you go to an app store, you will see the dirt if you look for camping. Um, we have about 30 million visits to our website each year. Um, wow. But what makes the dirt really special, and I, I'm sure we're going to get into that a lot here, is that we have um, the most user-generated content, 8 million pieces of user-generated content on our, on our site and app, more than anyone else out there. And that's what really makes us special is that, that content and that community that, that we spent the past 10 years building. So still with the backstory theme, uh, what's your backstory that brought you to creating this? Oh my goodness. That's a, a good question. Um, I started the dirt because I was extremely frustrated with the experience of trying to find a campground online. Um, my husband and I had just moved to Oregon, a state we didn't know. Every week we'd go camping at the weekend and every about Tuesday of that week, we'd fight over who's going to go look for a campground online because it was so painful. Um, and we realized what was missing was kind of this Yelp or TripAdvisor specifically for camping. <laughs> Before starting the dirt, I, I like to call myself an entrepreneur. I have, I've never done a startup before this. I had never worked in technology and I had never worked in camping. Um, so I like to meet with fellow founders and make sure they understand that don't let any of those things stop you. Um, because if you have a passion for something and you really are solving a problem that needs to be solved, uh, good things tend to happen. 
Well, the passion piece is a key ingredient. And, you know, I think that the best businesses, and for those of you that are regular listeners, you probably know what I'm going to say is a good business solves a problem. And if you're passionate about solving that problem, it makes it so much easier to not quit. Like for real, like not quit the business. Because regardless of the experience you have, whether you've built tech before or not, or whether you've done been a business owner before or not, any of that, especially when it comes to software, you're going to learn a couple things. One, all businesses have problems. And two, all software has bugs. Doesn't matter how well you build it. It's always the case. So those are two, you, those are like you, that's like, for in my world, that's like the law of gravity or anything else. Like it's not a theory, it's a law that those yeah. two things are going to occur. So when it, I, I, mean, I think we're in agreement that successful entrepreneurs solve problems. I joked before I hit record that we solve a problem as a business and then we learn to solve the problems in our business and often around the business. When you were building the dirt, what's what was like the, okay, so we understand the the camping thing and I get it because actually my, I, I subscribe, I know you know the All Trails app because that's yeah. kind of yeah. in your space and and oh. I, I actually subscribe to that even though I only use it a couple times a year because we would go, I live in Kansas we go to, you know, Colorado or whatever. And I want, I want the down low on like, what's a good trail? Is it crowded? Is it good for kids and stuff like that? And I've really enjoyed it because, you know, because it gave me the real thing. And it, it sometimes just Googling this stuff doesn't give you the real answer. I want to hear what people have to say about it. I thought mm-hmm. that was really great. So I like yeah. what you're doing with camping. I'm going to check it out because yeah, I don't do go it. camping a whole lot, but if I did, yeah. I want to hear about, you know, what the camp, camp campsites yeah. are like. So, yeah. so what, what are some of the problems you ran into that you had to solve immediately? Well, it's just, you know, you, people don't do things much anymore without researching it in advance. You know, you're, you would never go stay at an Airbnb if you hadn't read other people's views of it and seen their pictures. You don't, you know, most of us don't go to Yelp without reading the reviews and looking at the pictures. And... I was starting to realize early on, well, the same is true for camping and camping, 80 million Americans go camping. So it's, you know, it's a big market of people and you want those, that time away to count. You want it to be good. Um, And I remember early on ending up at campsites that were like next to the road. And I'm like, I wish someone had just told me you know, and you're not going to get that on the government websites that are very one dimensional and basic information. But I, you know, I wish Matt would have told me that this campground in Kansas is actually not a good one. And site seven specifically is right next to the road. Um, So what we decided to do was to crowdsource information because you can't get this information on your own. You need to start building a community and, leverage that community and incentivize that community to provide this amazing content that's going to help all of us have a better experience when we're camping. So I was just reading in the most recent or one of the most recent articles of the Harvard Business Review. That's how I make myself sound fancy, by the way. Um, I was reading a magazine is really what it came down to. But there was a, I just read this the other day, it was there was a very in-depth article about about reviews and the shape of and the design pattern and process of reviews needing to change 
um, in some ways, and also the difficulty that a lot of sites have getting reviews, especially in the beginning. I've talked about this a lot on the show when it comes to like marketplace apps where you have to have a buyer and a seller. In some ways, you're similar, um, meaning like the hardest part is the population of it in the beginning. Was that a challenge? Oh, huge challenge, huge, huge challenge. And when I started to realize what I wanted to do, the first thing I did was I worked with a contractor to build a WordPress site because mm -hmm. I was not going to, and I meet so many founders who have a vision of what they want to build and they're not going to push go live until it's like that. I'm like, you got to get something out and start testing yeah. it, get an MVP out, see how people react to it. So we worked on this very simple WordPress site where I, uh, I, I'm like, send me the name of a campground in your state, the review, four photos and a video, email it to me, um, and I will put it up as a blog post just so I could start to gauge that this was indeed a problem for other people that they were experiencing and not just me. So once we got to a point where I'm like, okay, this is working. I have people who seem to be interested in this. Um, then we kind of went on to the next level of our MVP and, and just kind of kept building from there. But it's really, it's a lot to ask people to come to your website. It's even more to ask them to join your website, but then to ask them to provide content to your website or app, that, that's a lot to ask. So we've, we've always focused on how do we incentivize people to give us this content and, um, there's something called the one nine ninety rule of community development. Have you ever heard of that? No, no. Let's talk about it. It's it's really interesting, and we That's were one one nine ninety. Yes, the one. Are those separate? Is like one nine and ninety? Exactly. Yeah. Can I guess? Is it one person? Well, you'll you probably need ninety people to actually give a shit to have one person that will actually talk about it? Is it somewhere in that ballpark? <laughs> that's close. That's a good, we should, we should trademark that one for sure too. I think that that's probably the most realistic expectation of what I'm about to hear. Cause like, yeah. I mean, the, well, one of the rules I've, I've done a lot of things in life and when it comes to reviews or feedback is kind of similar, like that one in a hundred, like there's like only one person out of the hundred that'll find the error, the issue or the problem on your site will actually be like, Hey, this is broken. So yeah. it becomes yeah. pretty painful when you realize that like an error has existed for a really long time. And you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. That is super painful. All right. Um, so one nine ninety, so, let's hear about it. Yeah. So the one nine ninety rule is is this idea that 1% of your community online, um, they are the people contributing the content. They're the people who do Yelp reviews. They're the people mm -hmm. who do TripAdvisor reviews. Um, I always think it's way more than that. I, I always had assumed it was more than that. I'm like, everyone's reviewing but me, um, but I'm not a reviewer. Um, and then 9% will like it or upvote it or share it. And then 90% of your community do nothing but consume it. Um, and I think it's easy for people to just focus on the 90% because that's where the majority of the community is. But if you're like us and you're building an online community and you need user-generated content to make, make the platform valuable, 
we really had to focus on that 1% and how do we incentivize those people to keep coming back to our uh, our platform over and over and over again. And, and that's what we did. Yeah, the article that I read, the premise was that you know, and you're, 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 it was very much in agreement with everything you've said about like, people don't want to buy things that don't have reviews. And at the same time, I, there's this, like, also this problem when it comes to um, competitive stuff, which was review fraud, uh, which has led to a lot of people not trusting reviews because they feel fake. Like yeah. they're left, like they're, they're, they're synthetic or uh, bad reviews are left by one business about another um, in a shielded, guarded kind of anonymous way. And it just like, and then, you know, it really got into detail about the, the challenges and the difficulties that a lot of really big box, I'm talking Yelp, Amazon, places like that have with getting quality reviews. And, you know, like Google has the, what is it? The local guide and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So all of these inherently led to some kind of incentive from trusted quality reviewers that were creating content. And I, and you know, that's, you talk about the problem. So, um, you know, building a, what you're, and this is now no longer a culturally appropriate title, but Seth Godin has a book called tribes. I say that cause it's not, I don't think he's from a tribe. But, right. the, you know, so I don't think we're supposed to use that term anymore. Please don't cancel me, people. I'm talking about his book, not mine. But with that, the idea is, so he actually uses, a, a, a you know, I kind of grew up a hippie myself. So I, you know, went to Grateful Dead and Fish and Umphreys McGee and Goose concerts and all this stuff. And like, and there's so many people there that are there just as much to see the other people that are there as they are to see what's on the stage. And this becomes this really powerful and influential thing. Thing, if you can build the tribe or you can build the community because, um, you know, like you that you want the people that use these communities to find as much value in each other as they find from you, the product, the performer or the brand. And um, and so the thing is, though, is like, how do you pick up that original speed and, and whatever? And I think that in any any way you can get that done, do it. Um, another important thing was especially like in the, I'm not a big fan of the term influencer, by the way. Um, but for people that have followers or have a voice that, that is heard by some is to not mute the people that have something bad to say about you. There is actually a review in this podcast that says, Matt is so obnoxious. I agree. I agree. What do you do when you agree with a bad review? And it's like, I listened to this episode and I forwarded through all the parts where he was talking. That's how I listened to the show too. So we're on the same page, but with that, you know, people are not, everyone's going to like what you have to say, but you have to foster and, and kind of develop that thick skin in and around whatever you're doing. So in this case, I don't think a campground is probably going to speak back, but in some cases I, I they might, because I think some of them are privately owned, right? Yeah, there are a lot of private on, privately owned campgrounds in the United States. And, you know, the, the number of campers is going up every year. So during the pandemic in 2020, camping became yeah, that was hot. Yeah. the thing to do. And it corresponded with us launching our pro subscription. So you said you use all trails. So it's the same concept. It's <laughs> the pro version, 36 bucks a year annual, you know, hopefully annual renewals. Um, and we were just amazed when we launched that and just saw people buying it like every couple minutes, a new pro purchase. And, you know, it was really exciting. 
But we didn't know is was 2020 a blip? Is is it gonna last? And luckily in, in 2021, I think eight million additional Americans camped for the first time. And then last year, seven million more Americans camped for the first time. So now we're up to 80 million Americans camping. A lot of them are are new to camping. And so they really rely on this community that we've built to help them decipher where to go and where they might want to spend their weekend or weeks um, when they're when they're out there camping. You know, not related to that, I have a confession because as I've scrolled to the bottom of my notes, I now see a very in de- in detailed reference about 1990. So um, yeah, maybe I wasn't as prepared as a user of the dirt would be when... <laughs> <laughs> wanting to get information about camping. So I apologize for that. But, uh, okay. So the, the way, as you described the WordPress site and all that, the one thing that there was a couple of things that went through my head. One, this is, this does not sound very scalable and man, that sounds like a lot of work entering all this stuff manually. Um, when it came to building technology and I'm in the tech and software space, like how did you begin to make this scale? Cause it sounds like you have millions of users and that is a completely different beast when it comes to like the whole thing. Uh, cause well, first off, um, you're on a, you're, well, you're in a spotlight for a whole lot of people and you know, and I, how did you begin to, to make this or, or get to the point of scalability where millions and millions of people could use it and, and pay for it every year? Yeah. yeah. Well, for one, th- one thing we raised $24 million and that's definitely helped us be able to scale, um, back in the WordPress site days, that's back when I was, a, you know, a solo founder, just trying to understand if people wanted to to be a part of this. Um, so, you know, I think really hiring good people early on. Um, I think, you know, we've we, right now we probably have about 40 employees um, getting getting good tech people who can help like. I said, I am not a technical person myself. My first ever full-time hire, our CTO is still with us to this day. Um, And, you know, just working closely with him, I think founders really need to be mindful of their first hires, especially if they're non-technical people. And I I was really fortunate with with the person that that we hired there. Um, Yeah. And, and then just like for us scaling, you know, it, we, I knew that if you can build this community, then there's, there's many ways to monetize that community, but that wasn't really a focus early on, which was not an easy thing to tell your investors. <laughs> um, but I'm like, you just have to believe me that if we build a community and we get this 8 million pieces of content and build a super engaged community of campers that there's ways to monetize that. Um, and so it was great that we found very patient investors who are willing to take, let us take the time to do that super hard work, hard work of building the community. Um, and then turning on the monetization, which has been an amazing, you know, transformation for our company. Was there a silver bullet that solved the problem of attracting and retaining customers? Um, well, it depends what you mean by customer, because you know we or look user, at user, yeah, 
I mean, are you, for, for keeping our users, whether they're paid or non-paid users, it's just like we, we have to be providing useful content for them. Um, and, you know, the, the content of the user-generated content, we, we could never charge for that because it's given to us by our community. Um, so after a while, we heard from our users saying, hey, you know, what I would really like is if you had offline capabilities. So if I'm going out to the National Forest this weekend and I lose cell service, I can still access this information. Or, you know, I have to work on the road nowadays and I love to camp. I live full time in my RV, but I don't know where the cell service is going to be. So if you added a map like that, I would pay for that. So we started hearing enough from our users and that's what we turned in, into the Dirt Pro um, these really useful tools that that make it easier for people to go camping. We talk about experts, and I want to remind everyone that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit FullScale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the FullScale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. FullScale.io, it only takes two minutes to fill out those questions, people, and we can match you up with expert people. And, you know, that's the that's the key for us when we're hiring and is... Uh, so we all of our employees are in the Philippines. And for those of you that are, aren't new to tech, you know that America has a giant shortage of software developers, um, hundreds of thousands of open positions. And what we the problem we solve is trying to make it fast, easy, and affordable for people to hire and build a team uh, offshore and kind of augment the staff that they have locally. Uh, much like uh, Sarah said in the beginning of, the, of any tech business, you know, I mean, I, it breaks my heart. I talk to founders all the time that have gotten the, the wrong advice, the wrong input, the wrong hire, and someone, you know, they talk to their second cousin's husband's, you know, third cousin who told them to build it in a certain kind of technology that is antiquated or no one uses, or I don't know, it's just the wrong decision. And I really think that the problem you need to solve in the beginning is, is getting good advice um, I love the fact that your CTO is still with you. I feel like with the camping stuff, there's so many enthusiasts for that, that that probably has helped with, uh, I, I'm assuming that the people that work at the dirt like camping. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. We actually yeah, pay, people, pay our employees a $400 bonus if they go camping, use our product and then present about their experience to the team. Well, I'm sure that helps them build a better product too. I think that if, if you can't, if you I, I, that, you know, you talk about other shocking things. I talk to people a lot who's, well, talk to their teams and they don't, I'm like, so what, what have you used the product for? What did you like? My number one rule with building software is, is this annoying? And if the answer to that is not a clear, no, you still have work to do. And, you know, I mean, cause it, it's like, you can have great content, you can have great concept but if your software has annoying little traits to it, people won't use it. It's just that simple. And um, I mean, people will literally throw throw it out in two seconds if you if it's you know like I'm a big onboarding nut. So that's why I said like at full scale, I want less than two minutes of questions, and we yeah. can match you up with like a whole bunch of people that do what you do do what the, help you solve the problem that you need because. The more the more steps, the less success, which is is usually part of it. Um, let's talk in a second. You know, you mentioned raising what you say twenty four million. 
24 million. Yeah. So when it came to doing that, um, you know, there's obviously problems that you need to solve uh, presenting. Uh, it, the, the whole fundraising thing is a real hot topic, both with guests and just people that I talk to all the time. So uh, what's some advice you can give to other entrepreneurs that want to raise cash? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I talk to a lot of fellow entrepreneurs here in Portland. And um, I think what we have found to be very important is to, as you're building your network of, of people that could possibly invest, make sure you capture that information. And this is just a very like practical thing to do. But every um, quarter we send for years, we've sent out this um, this update to mentors and investors in the dirt. And it sounds like a small thing to do, but when you talk to someone, you ask them if they're interested in investing and they say no, you just say, hey, do you mind if I put you on my update list? It's just four times a year. Um, and, you know, some of the people we talked to early on who said no to us, they said no to us sometimes because they don't do rounds that small. They were waiting for something bigger to come along. And then, you know, as we got bigger and we did bigger rounds, then they did come on board and they had been kept abreast of all our progress and what we had been doing for years. So it wasn't, it was a, you know, it wasn't, wasn't hard for them to want to come on board at that point. So that's a, a good practical tip I like to give other founders. I one, I think the tip I, I give the most is to remember that, especially in the earliest stages, that investors are investing in the founder more than anything else. And that's, so go in and be you. And I also had someone say something to me years ago that has just really stuck with me. And that's, don't be afraid to sell your big vision. You know, when you go in and, you know, investors get pitched all the time. I actually just published a, a, a video about this on the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. And, you know, too many people go in and they have this little tiny vision. They're like, yeah, I want to raise $25,000 and I think we'll be great in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. And, right. you know, it's just like little market and investors get pitched all day, every day. So go in and just tell them about, you know, hey, like in your case, like, hey, there are 80 million people that go camping and they need help with this. And that's a big addressable market. And I think that also like, like you mentioned with the beginning is like telling people to have the patience to, Hey, we have to build this community before it's monetized. Um, I think that, you know, the, the move, the Facebook movie, um, you know, hit, hit that pretty early. And he's like, Hey, we don't even know what this is yet. We don't need to kill it with ads. Like, let's just build this, this population of things up before we, because ads are annoying and a ads lot of stuff is annoying. Yeah. So. And Matt, to go back to what you're saying, like when we would, even then we knew we, it's like 80 million Americans camp, people camp all over the world. We want to be known as the trip advisor for camping. So if you are a camper in this country, you know the dirt. And then eventually we move on to other countries. Um, and if you are a camper in the world, you know the dirt, whether you are a backpack camper, an RV camper, a tent camper, or a van camper. Whatever kind of camping you do, we want to be the go-to resource for, you know, for camping. And it, it's, it's not a, once you start to really look at the math of it all, you know, 
it's 36 bucks a year for our pro subscription currently you know we get 1 million people buying that that's that's a pretty big you know reoccurring revenue each year so um it, those are the sorts of things investors can get behind if you can articulate the vision articulate the market size and articulate why you are the one to do it in, in my book million dollar bedroom i talked I, I had a section in it talking about once you find success with something new, you've set up the signal flare that attracts competition, um, no matter what. Has that happened with you? Not really. The, the camping space is so disjointed. So are there like little niche things here and there? Um, but there's nobody else who's really trying to bring the whole thing together quite like we are. So you can find glamping niche sites and you can find backpacking niche sites. But we want the thing that we've discovered, we just did a, a camping report. We do a camping report each year and um, people are trying new sorts of camping now at an unprecedented rate, uh, you know, like Myself, for example, for years, I was a tent camper. Then we became a trailer camper where we had a camper we pulled behind us. Now we have an, a, a van, so we're van campers. Um, but the type of camping people do has changed a lot over the years. A lot more people are trying private campgrounds because, you know, the public campgrounds are so booked it is five times harder this year to get a campground than it's been in previous years reservations are so tight um so you know for us to be the resource for all of that in one spot is is really what we're aiming to be so as this grew this has obviously put a lot of dem I, I would assume that the demands on you personally um grew uh, you went from a WordPress site where you were, I mean, essentially a blogger, right? Into um, a, a now ten-year company with millions of users, millions in revenue, millions in funding. And how have you dealt with those changes and solved the problems that come up for entrepreneurs as a business grows rapidly? Well, luckily, I have an amazing team, including my husband and co-founder. Um, so it's been really, I've been fortunate to have him along with this, with me on this journey this whole time. Um, I just think having a, a co-founder, it's, I think there's mixed views on it out there. But for me, having my co-founder being someone I was married to has been really, really great for us. Um, he has a totally different set of skill sets than I do. Um, and so being able to have each other because 10 years is a long time to do a startup <laughs> and it can really wear on you. And it, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it can be an exhausting thing as probably those people listening can attest to. There, there might be like a one nine ninety rule about being business partners with your spouse. Cause, um, like a lot of times that doesn't work out at all. In fact, like I, I my, my wife uh, is, was there for the first six years of business. I started, you know, 14 years ago and we were, we managed to do that really well. But most of the people that I ran into and talked to, they're, they're kind of like, they take you off to the side and they're like, 
so dude, how do you work with your wife? I don't think I could do it with mine. You know, and it was like, but, but the key, the key, and it really was, it was like that kind of hush. I, I know you've had that conversation. I mean, we, yeah. any, yeah. anyone that's married to their, their, their coworker does, but, but the, I think the key thing for me was, well, first off, she, you, you had on something really important. She was really, really good at all the stuff that I wasn't good at. And it brought such a, an angle and component to the business that just helped us accelerate and thrive. Because if you're not good at something, then you likely don't like doing it, which oftentimes turns into you just not doing it, which then turns into an even bigger problem. So uh, I also wanted to talk about the co-founder thing because, you know, back in 2008, 2009, when I'm starting my first stuff, um, I was very opposed to the idea of having business partners or co-founders. If I started something new now, I don't think I'd do it without one. Um, and then the key to that, once again, is finding finding that yin and that yang, um, someone that's good at the stuff that you aren't. And if it just happens to be someone who's good at all the stuff that you're good at as well, then you need to go find someone that's good right. at the things that you aren't because you'll leave a lot of stuff out. Um, what, what was the, since we're talking about solving problems, what's a problem that you had to solve that as a new entrepreneur just completely surprised you? You're like, wow, I did not realize this was going to be as as difficult or any of that. Like what really kind of crept up on you and made you say, wow, looking back after 10 years. I, I, I think this is very, very common for founders. We all have an idea that we are super passionate about and we want to solve this problem and we, our hearts are really into this product that we're building. But as we know, there's so much more than that that goes into building a business like your HR policies, your accounting software, your recruiting software. You know, there's so much more to to doing a startup than just your passion for the particular thing that you're you're doing. And of course, I think we should all realize that's coming. But I I think it's kind of a shock to the system when you're pulled away from what it is you love to do to do these other things that you have to do. That was kind of a shock. Yeah, a bunch of people. There's a, a, a and I've been in this group. A lot of people start their business essentially accidentally. You know, like uh, in some ways they stumble across something that they make a few bucks from. So they do it again. They do it again. They do it again. They do it a whole lot. Um, but the more common one is people are just really good at something like you're an amazing artist or you just do something that you're already passionate about that you have a high level of skill at. And then um, and then you when you turn that into a business, you realize, oh, wow, I actually have to run a business. I have to learn how to be an accountant. I think in, in this day and age, it's a lot easier to do a lot of stuff. Like for example, like one of the sponsors of the show in the past has been gusto.com and they do payroll services and make it really easy uh, to, to solve that problem. You have like this, this, there's a golden age of information and access to a ton of other entrepreneurs that have solved these problems. I really want to recommend anybody that's, that's thinking about starting something um, to remember, you don't have to solve all the problems yourself. You don't have to learn how to be an expert in 9 million things, maybe only like 2 million things you have to be an expert at, but, <laughs> but there's a lot, you know, all these things, like I mentioned, like Gusto and it's like, I mean, you could have 
to employees and they make that whole process of payroll faster and give you access to things like, you know, insurance. I don't know. There's just like a myriad of different things. Um, and, and yet a myriad of other things of other problems waiting to solve. We've actually had the, the debate in the past, like are all the good ideas already done? No, there are literally like so many problems still needing to solve, be solved. So don't let that get you down. Now I'm reading, I'm reading some notes that you left for us and uh, under the category of how do you stay focused on solving a problem? You had let, had let uh, mentioned, don't let doubt take over. Um, is, is that it, it has, ha, did you go through a period of that? I talked to a lot of folks that, Oh, that they have the imposter syndrome. I think we've all had it at some point. Like, what are some what are some doubts that you had that you that you overcame, and uh, and what uh, do you have any tips for how do other people solve that problem? And you know, I think we were talking about this before the show a little bit. But when I started the dirt, I was I think forty two, forty three year old woman. No, we were talking about how old we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and I did an accelerator back like maybe two years into the dirt um, in Colorado and it was an amazing experience, but I was the only female. I was the only one not in my twenties and I was the only one who had much different life experiences. And um, I'm just like, how do I fit into this? You know, I don't look like these people. I don't talk like these people. I don't, I'm very different from this. And to this day, when people meet me, they're like, you are the founder of a tech company. <laughs> but, you know, you know, the the beauty of like my life experiences have that all comes into play and helps you, I think, be a better founder. But there are more there are many times where you're like, what, especially in the beginning when it was just an idea. And I would go to different networking events and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to start this website called The Dirt. And it's, you know, it's to crowdsource reviews of campgrounds. And people are like, huh, okay, well, that sounds interesting. Good luck. And um, and then, you know, after I launched during like the WordPress days in the early days, my friends would be like, I thought you were going to make a rating and review site for campgrounds. And there's really nothing here this is just a directory of campgrounds. I'm like, yes, I know it's really hard to, to build a community like this and it takes time. Um, so many times along that journey, you think, why am I the one to do this? Or you might think that, but I, I just have a firm belief if that, if you really can visualize the, the way you can solve this problem and you stick to it, there's no blueprint for, for what a founder is supposed to look like or act like. And, um, and I, I meet with a lot of fellow founders here in, in Portland and who are just kind of starting a business. And I, I really try to reiterate that, that a lot of people just say they're going to do something and they never actually do it. So being the one to actually take that first step and do it and declare you're doing it is more than 90% of other people ever do. Got to jump and build wings at some point, people. And I want to point out, um, well, we're we're classmates, you and I, on the Inc. Five Thousand here in twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah, and you were and you were featured in the twenty twenty two Inc. Female Founders One Hundred. Congratulations on that, ma'am. Thank you. Yeah, that was exciting. 
You know, it's uh, I've had I've talked to a lot of people about awards because I'm not really like a praise driven person. And I got that Inc. 5000 plaque and I went and I tried to put it in the bank and I was trying to shove it in that tube at the drive through and it wouldn't fit in. <laughs> so they're like, Mr. DeCourcy, come in the lobby. And I'm walking in and they're like, oh, this guy again, I'm trying to shove it under the window. They're like, dude, you cannot put this in the bank. And I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> So people are like, what's the greatest thing about winning an award? I'm like, kind of nothing on some days. Thank you. But also like, you got to find your own way to monetize it. I accept those awards on behalf of the 299 people that work at my company that show up and and really make a difference. Like I'm just kind of Mickey Mouse out in front of the magical kingdom asking everyone to come in. So I accept that stuff on behalf of the folks that I work with. You know, I wanted to go back to the comment that you made about like the, you talking about going to the accelerator and I've talked to a lot of people about, Oh man, I asked some weird questions, but I, I, I often ask the, I, one of my favorite questions is what's the difference between uh, being a genius and being crazy? The best answer I got was who cares? And it, it wasn't really like, it sounds like kind of a smart ass comment, but it wasn't really intended that way. Um, look, it, the, 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 it, upon more explanation, uh, all these, the, the opinions that like you go in and you're, you're the different you know, you're, you don't look or talk or act or feel like the other people in the group, but who cares? Cause you need to solve the problems that you need to solve at your business. And there really isn't this like template for what a founder or a tech founder, or whoever looks like anyone else's opinion is just that. And it's hard for people to get past that a lot, you know? And yeah. like the, the thing is, it's like show up every day and try to do stuff that matters, try to make a difference, try to solve the problem that your clients or users have. And I, I actually just today, and this will be a little dated when this comes out, but I just published a short video on, on LinkedIn about listening to your clients, customers, and user feedback, because they're telling you what you need to be better at. And that's back to that. I've, I've as I approach my 50th lap around the sun, I'm finally, literally finally learning how to be a better listener when it comes to that stuff, but at the same time, also like not letting it affect me in a way that, Hey, people are going to say good things. They're going to say bad things. And really in the end, like, like you're, like you probably heard when you were a kid sticks and stones. Right. And right. You know, just it, it, uh, I, I don't, I just accept the fact not everyone's going to like you agree with you or that you might be a little bit different than everyone else. Oh, well, they're, they're different from me. No, I'm not different from them. Maybe, maybe look at it like that. So here we are at the end of our episode. And I want to remind everyone, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, and leaders, let full scale help. We have the people on the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. You can learn more at FullScale.io. I love ending my conversations with founders with what I call the founders freestyle. It's exactly that. I've had people, I've had people recite poems, rap, sing, talk, not cry. Maybe we could try that one one of these times. But as I as I hand the microphone over to you on our way out, um, what what would you what would you like to use your freestyle on, Miss Sarah? Well, I mean, this might not be the most exciting freestyle you've ever had, but I just want to encourage people to 
to get out and go camping more often if it's something they're into. It's it's really it's such a great way to kind of refocus your your brain and have fun with your partner or your family. Um, and you know, when I, I go back to the original reason that I started the dirt, and it's because it, I was frustrated and I. I didn't want my camping experiences to be wasted on a terrible campground that I wish I would have just known before I went there. It was terrible. Um, you know, so, so use the dirt, um, check out the dirt pro. We have bookings on the dirt so you can book campgrounds. Um, and it, it's a great, it's, it's something I believe in because it's such a great way to like reframe yourself, reframe your mind and refocus whatever it is that you're all busy out there doing so um a little like self-plug there at the end of the during the freestyle oh and that's encouraged that's encouraged you know what i'm gonna go with for my freestyle is you know you mentioned that um taking on a completely endeavor later in life and not being scared to do it um i i think and this is this is originated from your your neck of the woods uh nike says just do it um mm-hmm. you know so do that like they're they have they're on to something there like I, I talked to, I, here I am all these years later, having written three books, done this podcast with a thousand episodes out there. And I talk to people about this stuff all the time. And I'll tell you, there's people I met six years ago that are still telling me about the same startup that they're probably never going to start because they don't just do it. And, you know, like it takes a level of boldness and fearlessness and guess what? You're going to fail a lot. Okay. So the feedback that I get from so many people is actually a thank you for being as transparent and open. I mean, I'm going to, sh- I, I got videos on YouTube where I'm saying, fuck you failure. I am not going to let you beat me. And, and the key is, is like, you got to do you, you got to put on the blinders, you got to solve problems. And guess what? The problems aren't going to stop coming. So don't mm-hmm. get frustrated with that, accept it and move forward. And you'll find that you're probably going to win because there's really like, you know, I, 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 we like quoting Mike Tyson because Mike Tyson said, uh, you know, everyone had a plan until they got punched in the face. And that's what you're going to run into right away as an entrepreneur. So get out there and solve some problems. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Congratulations on all your success. And I'll tell you right now, in me, you will have one new Dirt Pro user very soon. So thank you for building it. I'm into it. I'll catch up with you down the road, maybe at the campground down the road. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.